Sorry, I got a bunch of stuff. That's why I just need more. I'm big and bulky, and so is my stuff. Okay. My Bible's... If you have a Bible, go and open up to 1 Peter. Go and open up to 1 Peter. I, I... It's such a privilege to be with you all, to be in Melissa, Texas, uh, with the saints here. Uh, and it's such a privilege uh, to be able to open God's Word to you. Um, it's not lost on me uh, what a tremendous honor it is to know Jesus and to encourage the people who do. Uh, the saints in the lands are his excellent ones in whom is all his delight, and we share in his joy in that way. Uh, so if you have a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to pray, and we're just going to dive straight in. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We got nothing without him. But we have everything in him. And we ask that you would open our awareness even more to all we have in him. We ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Oh, your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, saints? Amen. Hey, that is. Y'all can talk back to me. Please don't, please don't like argue with me during the sermon, but you can talk back to me. Um, I have three children. Uh, they're all lovely. Um, I want to talk about my second aged child. Uh, I don't think that's the right way to say it, but my, my second oldest, my second youngest, the middle kid, Sibs. Uh, he's incredibly cute and he is easily distracted. Uh, he has a problem looking where he's going. And uh, I know a lot of kids are this way. He's uniquely uh, this way. It gets him into all kinds of trouble and it brings him into all kinds of injuries. Um, something will catch his eye, someone will catch his eye, and he will not take his eyes off of it. I tell people because they think I'm, I'm joking. It's not like, you know, you're walking and you catch something, you just linger a little bit too long. He will not look where he's going until it is impossible for him to see you. So he'll look at you and he will just he will keep walking and he will, you're thinking I'm gonna fall off the stage, I'm not gonna fall off the stage. Uh, but he would, he would fall right off the stage. He's walked into many a things, fallen down many a steps. He's the kind of kid who just stands there and falls over somehow. Uh, but he has a problem being distracted. And once something kind of gets his attention, it takes his attention off what he's supposed to have his attention on. So we are regularly telling our lovely beloved Sibs, son, pay attention to what you're doing. Keep your eyes on where you're going. And if that has uh, ever happened to you, where you have been walking and not paying attention to where you are going, uh, a few things happen to you. Uh, you run into something you didn't see, you step into something you didn't notice, or you stumble in a manner you could have prevented. Uh, and this happens to all of us in a variety of ways. And this isn't something my son does, right? It's something all people struggle with. Uh, certainly not all in the same way. Hopefully, we have learned to walk where we are going. Uh, but we, we, we certainly all struggle with being easily distracted. Uh, if you've ever watched HGTV, like my wife and I did this week on vacation, I know what you're thinking, lame vacation, but it was great to us. Uh, HGTV is filled with reasons to distract you. Reasons to take your eyes off what's actually important. Causes to be distracted from being content with all we have in Christ. 
It doesn't take us long if we search ourselves to find many regular occurrences of being easily distracted, to find spots in our life that we should be focusing on, but we are not focusing on. And as Christians, this is thoroughly problematic for us to be distracted disciples, for us to lack focus, for us to not pay attention to where we're going. And so in our text for today, we're, getting, we're being called to, to pay attention, to look ahead to what's coming up, because that addresses or is intended to affect all that we do. I'm going to go ahead and read the text. We're just looking at one verse this morning, verse 13. But I'm going to read verse 3 up to verse 13 just to give context. Oh, this is the Apostle Peter. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And here is our verse for this morning. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is God's word, and we are thankful for God's word this morning. Uh, friend, is your sight in life set right? Is what you're viewing in your life set right? Are you paying attention to where you are going? Uh, the text seems to be flowing something like this. Believer, you have grace still coming to you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hope you heard that phrase when we just read. And since this is the case, since you have such a living hope, such an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, prepared and ready to be revealed in the last time, since there is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ awaiting the faithful, since the outcome of our faith is still coming, and that being the salvation of your souls, set your hope fully on them. Set your hope fully, completely, totally on grace that's still coming. 
not partially, but completely. Set your hope totally on grace that will be brought to you. And we want to spend uh, a few minutes just trying to consider what that means. I have two points. I'm bad at points. Hope these help. First point, we must know of the coming grace. You say, you are bad at points. That's fine. Uh, you must know of the coming grace. You must know that grace is coming. Uh, how much of the grace that's to come determines how you live today. I mean, certainly we're full with a room of Christians who believe that Jesus is returning, who believe in him, and that's why we've gathered this morning to worship him. We're singing all glory be to Christ. But have you considered how much of your life that is intended to affect? We simply will not be looking for what we are ignorant of. It was a desire of Paul that they would know what awaits us. This is in Ephesians 1, 18. He says that you might know what is the hope to which he's called you. What is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Uh, we see that desire for Peter here as well. Set your hope fully. It's interesting, when we think about the Christian life, I wonder if that category comes in. Our hope is set fully, completely on a coming day. Something still to be brought. And our question is, well, what grace? What grace to be brought? Because we're saved. We've been saved by the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not works, lest anybody should boast. We have salvation now by grace. What kind of grace is going to be brought to us? That's supposed to capture our full hope. Well, that's why verse 13 begins with a therefore. And you know, therefore is therefore a reason. And beloved, there's a lot in this therefore. Remember this group of people that Peter is writing to. He calls them aliens, strangers in the land in which they dwell as he begins his letter. Sojourners, they're labeled, if you have an ESV translation, as exiles. We are here, but not here. In the world, but not of it. And our real citizenship, our real identity isn't in Texas, but in heaven. Or Philly, but in heaven. Or America, but in heaven. That's our real citizenship. We are dislodged people. Exiles. We're wanderers. Not some saints, all saints. Our real identity is somewhere else. And despite how we feel in that moment, and we have a whole lot of feelings, a lot of stuff gets us in our feelings. But the Bible is clear, beloved. If you know the Lord Jesus, despite how you feel, you have been chosen. You are an elect exile. A chosen people, a holy nation, a part of his royal priesthood. God's own possession. And verse 3 says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what this means. Faith's angle is forward looking. Which means the saints aren't just identified by those who know what happened to them, but those who are waiting for what will happen to them. 
by God's power through faith for salvation. So that same faith that God gave and is used in causing us to believe is that same faith God is using to guard us. Because through the variety of trials we experience, that faith gets tested. And if we're genuine, the faith proves itself genuine, tested by trials. Notice that the presence of grief, right, the reality of situations that we don't like, uh, these variety of pressurized challenges that grieve us, these are not evidences of our separation from the Lord, as we're often tempted to think, God's abandoned us, God's left us, why is this happening to me? It's to show that you're genuine. It's, it doesn't show that you're not his. It actually shows that you are because it's in trials that you see the clearest picture of who we're looking at. Everybody loves Jesus when it's well with them. It's when it's time to take a cross and go and die. The Lord Jesus had disciples. But what happened on that night? Everybody left him. And remember who's talking to us here. This is Peter. Peter, who on that night said, Jesus, even if everybody else leaves you, not me, I'm willing to die. Jesus said, nah, bro. It's my translation. It's, it's in the Greek. Um, he says, you're going to deny me. You're not even going to make it through the night. But what happens with trials? With trials, when there's genuine, true faith by God's power, that faith gets refined. It gets revealed. When grieved by different and perhaps difficult circumstances, faith shows itself genuine by saying what? Not how could you, but by saying, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Faith continues to cry out in trial, Father, Abba, Father. Despite suffering, faith continues through every test to say, I love him. He's more real to me than this trial I'm in. Even though I don't see him, I believe in him and I have joy. He is my joy, my glorious joy. But it's not just what that faith says, but what that faith means. Because Peter's saying that faith actually results in something later. Look at verse 7 quickly. This faith, when tested, proven genuine, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, where there's genuine faith, there is coming salvation. Coming salvation. And Peter says, that's the faith. That's genuine. That faith has salvation coming to it. Okay, we're getting a little bit of clarity about what this grace that's going to be brought to us is. This coming salvation. This faith comes from God. God has given us this faith. It's watched over. It's being used to guard us, not by our own human exertion, but by God's power. So this faith shows itself to be a supernatural faith. Because this is what happens when people try to follow Jesus in their own strength. Jesus said there's all kinds of soil, and some seeds sprout up. They act like they got a lot of joy, but it can't take hardship. That tree sprouts up, and faith that's from a person does not rejoice in hardship. Faith that's from a person does not rejoice in sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
He says that faith comes up and then the hardship just beats it down, scorches it, kills it. But the faith that God provides, that God sustains, that by God's power he guards, that faith thrives even when the weather is not well. Even when affliction is right over it. And our brother Peter knows something about powerfully sustained faith. You remember in Luke, you know, Peter, he's like us. He talked a lot. And you remember what Jesus told Peter? The devil wants you. He said, Simon, Simon, Simon. He said, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Your faith, Peter, is being powerfully guarded. And that faith is going to powerfully guard you. And here is Peter, even as Jesus told him, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here's Peter writing this letter, seeking to faithfully strengthen us, to strengthen us with the grace that's in Christ Jesus, to strengthen us with the word about how faith is graciously provided, powerfully sustained, and then eventually rewarded. As verse 9 teaches us, listen to this language about coming grace, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Beloved, what is the outcome of your faith? Is the salvation of your soul. That's coming still. We're saved, being saved, and will be saved. And the saint is looking for that salvation of the soul. That faith has something coming to it, salvation still to come. And that's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope we are saved in, being saved by, and will be saved by. There is salvation still to come, and don't you feel it? You saved, sanctified, and a hot mess still. But what's the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is I'm, I'm not less saved, but I'm not yet all the way saved. I'm fully saved, but I'll be fully saved. Welcome to the paradoxes of the Bible. But we feel it. We feel there got to be more. How would you feel? This for eternity? You want to be like this forever? Still able to sin against your loved one? Against your Lord? Still able to ignore him? Still able to turn from him? There's salvation still to come. Friends, there is remaining sin to be permanently eradicated. That's grace to come. There are entanglements to be forever removed. That's grace to come. Uh, there is corruption to be eternally undone. That's grace to come. Uh, there is death to be fully swallowed up in victory. That's grace to come. There is the Perishable, putting on the imperishable, the mortal being swallowed up by immortality. That's grace to come. There is the coming, coming permanent day of rest. 
There is the coming experience of fullness, fullness of joy, fullness of pleasure forevermore, the filling with all the fullness of God. There is the final wiping away of all sorrows and all tears. There is the banishment of all evil and all wickedness. There is the day of our glorification when every wayward thought Every rebellious inclination, every strand of boredom concerning holy things, every distraction from intense awe and worship of the Lord will be completely foreign to our experience. And that's grace to come. There is the full knowing that we were created for. What is eternal life? He says that they know you. And on that day, we will know, even as we've been fully known, there is the uninterrupted, in-person, face-to-face, abiding fellowship with our Lord. And that is grace still to come. And you know what the Bible calls that? Salvation. How could we be content with anything less? The text doesn't call those things the cherry on top, but salvation, the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Holding fast by faith, upheld by God's power, that will be found to result in praise and glory and honor, obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The first appearing of Christ, which brought us salvation, prepares us for the second appearing of Christ, which brings us salvation. Salvation still to come. Do you know the grace that's to be brought to you when Jesus shows up? And one, one clear, obvious evidence, whether we do or we don't, is how often do you pray? Come, Lord Jesus, come. How often are we eagerly anticipating the return of Christ? Are we kind of looking out the window of our life for him to show up? The illustration I used to talk about eagerly awaiting is, you know, when there's somewhere you got to go that you don't want to go. You're slow to get ready. Somebody's like, I'm right down the street. You say, okay, I'm ready. And you know you're not ready yet. What you meant is I'm starting to get ready. And they waiting outside. Their coffee done got cold. And here you come walking out the door. Slow. This is the unhurried one, right? Because you really just don't care about where you're going. You want to be faithful. You want to be on time. But it's different when it's your thing. We all have different things. But when it's your thing, when you're excited, you know when you pack the night before, the luggage is sitting next to the door, you lay your clothes out on the floor so you can just roll out of bed into your clothes and get up and walk out. When you're texting the person, yo, ETA, I just told you five minutes. I got my five my friends up, I'm watching you, just gonna see you soon. It's kind of like Uber. Uber helps us eagerly await. They show you where the car is so that you can be ready. Well, saints, that's the stance of a saved soul. Their bags are packed. They're at the door. We're waiting, we're waiting for Jesus to show up. We're eagerly waiting for Jesus to show up because we know what happens when he shows up. Grace will be brought to us. Salvation. Uh, second point is, therefore, aim your whole life at this coming grace. This is the plain reading of the text. Alistair Beck says the plain things are the main things. Listen, therefore, because of all that's true, 
Prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This changes how you live. I don't know if you've ever been low on ends, meaning low with the money. But then the check's coming. You know when you have stress, uh, any kind of stress, but when alleviation is nearby, that actually affects how you deal with stress. Well, you ain't got the money to pay it right now, but you know the check's coming in two days. You deal with that differently as opposed to when you just don't know when the check's coming. I don't know, what, I don't know how we're going to do this one. That's different than it's going to be here in a couple days. And you can deal with a whole lot of stuff knowing it's going to be here in a couple days. Well, friends, that's, that's what happened with salvation. Jesus like, it's going to be here in a couple days. Therefore, set your hope fully on them. I don't mean literally a couple days, just in case you're wondering, but he says it's going to be soon, so I think this, that works. Uh, there's two things we're called to do at least in order to do that. He says prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded. Prepare our minds for action, it, it means gird up the loins of the mind. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, one commentator, says thinking in a new way does not happen automatically. It requires effort, concentration, and intentionality. So just setting our hope fully on the grace to be brought to us is not just a byproduct of showing up at church. Though, showing up at church can be preparing our minds. It depends on how we sit in these seats. If we're humble, receiving the plan of wherewith humility that's able to save our souls, that is a preparing our mind, being sober-minded. But this just doesn't happen. He says, arm yourself, ready yourself, gird up the loins of your mind. The imagery of girding up your loins was in reference to the action of men who would gather and tie up. They would tuck in the longer part of their clothing so that they could run or work or do battle undistracted and unhindered. Uh, so the call to gather one's garments is connected with readiness of activity. So you would have had a long flowing garment. That would have meant you was chilling. You're not pressed for anything. Uh, back in the day, uh, when I was in uh, middle school, people used to fight a lot. I grew up in Detroit, and uh, people used to fight. I guess people fight everywhere, but it seemed like a lot back then. And unfortunately, the ladies would fight a lot, and it almost became a stereotype of what happens when ladies fight. They would pop off the nails, they would take out the earrings, and they would tie up their hair just to not give their enemy any advantage. And similarly, this is just what people have always done. They, they readied themselves. You ain't about to catch me and grab me by the coat and then catch. No, so they would tie everything up so that they could be agile, so they could be swift. It was part of their war readiness. Peter says you should be living like that. It's interesting, this image, girding up the loins of the mind or preparedness of mind for action is so deeply connected with our hope being set appropriately. The mind must be prepared for action for us to be rightly executed. I don't know if you've ever just been in a situation and you just respond all unsaved-like. So where you surprise yourself, like, danger. If that was my pastor, uh, I have. Well, you just, like... You can catch us any random second of our lives, and we are capable of being just like Peter. Because we're just like Peter. 
So the remedy isn't just, I mean, just do you, you're going to be all right. That is not in the Bible. It's not just do you. It's be, be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Have your mind ready to act. How to act what? How to act godly. Prepare your mind to act like you got salvation coming. Be prepared in your mind for action consistent with the hope you have. Be in battle mode. Be in work mode. Romans 13 says this. Besides this, beloved, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is what? Nearer to us now than when we first believed. Well, what do you mean nearer? I thought we had. You do have it, but it's still nearer than when you first believed. The night is far gone. The days at hand. Let us then cast off works of darkness and Put on the armor of light. Prepare your minds for action. 1 John 3, 2 through uh, 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. You save now. He says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Oh. If you believe in Jesus, you're not what you will be. Praise God, you're not who you are, who you were. Our brother read that text, such were some of us, but we were washed, we're different. But make no mistake, no matter how different you are now, you are not what you will be. The reason why the world doesn't look at us and just be in awe is because they don't see what we will be. They didn't see Jesus as he really was. That only the closest glimpse they got was on that transfiguration mountain, right? Where Jesus peeled open that glory. Here goes Peter. It's good for us to be here. But we're going to be like him. You're God's child now. But what you will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There goes that revelation stuff. When he's revealed, when he appears, it's going to do something to us. He says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That, that prepared mind that, that knows that we're God's child now, that knows that we're not what we will be, that knows we will be like him and knows when we will be like him. That day when he's revealed... This is why Colossians 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ, why would you seek things on earth? Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Because when he who is your life appears, you will likewise appear with him in glory. The hope is connected with action, right? Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. What we aim at is what we move towards. Where our hope is set determines how we step. And Peter says, set your aim fully on his appearing. Lock in for action. Put that battle paint under your eyes. Clothe yourself in armor. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready to act as saved as you are towards where you'll be saved as you will be. And we appreciate how this call for preparedness is coupled with sobriety. Being sober-minded, having self-control to not be intoxicated. Matthew Henry says, be sober, be vigilant against all your spiritual dangers and enemies. Be temperate and modest in eating, 
drinking, apparel, recreation, business, and in the whole of your behavior. Have that hope set fully on grace to be brought to you. What intoxicates you? Do you know what intoxicates you? That might be a good thing to talk about over lunch today. If you're married, ask your spouse, what intoxicates me? If you have roommates, ask your roommates, what intoxicate me? If your parents are here, ask your parents, what intoxicates me? We all don't have the same temptations, but we all are equally tempted. Some, it may be literal alcohol. Some, it may be luxuries. That we can't see glory clearly because we're too drunk, we're too full on luxuries. Some, it may be sorrow. Some can be drunk with pains, wearied with weeping, and they don't see right. Adversity has caused many people to curse God and deny him. And tears can be a potent temptation. Can knock somebody totally off balance. Some are intoxicated by sorrow. Some are intoxicated by sexual enticement. Some just worldly pleasures. You know, things in 1 John that he says keeps us from being friends of God. The pride and possessions, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. The stuff that corresponds to a world that's passing away. Whatever it is that is causing you eternal drowsiness. Whatever it is that's keeping you from having your hope set fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. He says, have a steady sight and a ready mind. Be sober. Anytime we complain, where are you not being sober? Because we forgot salvation's coming in a couple days. Have you ever tried to encourage somebody who's refusing to be encouraged because they're intoxicated by something? You know God's word says, oh, I don't want to hear that right now. What you mean you don't want to hear that right now? You're not thinking soberly. Doesn't matter what we want to hear, it's what we need to hear. The Calvary is coming. This was Jesus' mind. He, Hebrews 12, right? Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Endurance. What's endurance? Endurance is being moved beyond what you feel because of what's ahead. Because something more dominant is pulling you than what you're experiencing. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he had his, something was set before Jesus, and it was joy set before him that caused him to endure the cross. None of us will experience the weight Jesus experienced. Literally the weight of the world. The weight of the world's sin, the Lord Jesus experienced by locking in on joy that was set before him. And he says, saints, be like our leader. Be like our captain. Be like our savior. The text tells us Jesus had his sight set right. Another commentator wrote this, sober-mindedness, it inculcates a calm, steady state of mind 
that evaluates things correctly so that it's not thrown off balance. And that's in sober-mindedness keeps us steady and focused with the clarity of perspective that isn't coming from or owed to a level-headed constitution. So this is level-headed doesn't mean they're eternally minded. But this is based and fueled by that coming grace that causes someone to endure the loss of all things because of the hope that's set before them. It's an eternal vigilance. It keeps one eye fixed where it's headed and the other as a watchman looking out for dangers. And in that sense, it's like driving through the middle of the night in deer country. I don't know if y'all have deer out here. Do y'all have deer out here? Take a little bit, a couple, coyotes. When you're in deer country and it's dark, that joint is stressful. And you kind of, you got to like, you got to, at least I do, I, grip, I get tensed up, I grip the steering wheel, I lean forward, and you're just, you have to focus both on where you're driving and what might pop in to completely derail your trip. And it's especially heightened when you either know somebody who's been in a car accident with a deer or you yourself have been. There's this tension, this, this sobriety that overtakes you, this clarity of mind, because you know at any given second, somebody just pop out, throw your car out of whack. And Peter's saying, that's how the Christian life is to be lived. You're supposed to be living, not like chilling with the music loud, like, what's up? No, no, you're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be gripping the wheel, focused on that coming grace, watchful for those dangers to the soul, prepared for action, ready to stop, ready to swerve, ready to speed up, ready to slow down. This is the holy fuel for faithfulness. Because from this orientation, all the rest of faithfulness flows. That's why one, uh, I was reading one commentator, and they broke the letter of Peter up into two sections, verse 1 through 12 in chapter 1, and then verse 13 to the rest of the book. And I think that's exactly right, because what Peter's doing in the rest of the book is showing us with a preparedness of mind, with a sober-mindedness, looking at that grace to be brought to us actually looks like. Because, beloved, consider what you would endure if you knew that perfection was close by. Literal, glorious perfection coming to you soon. How much more happy would you be in your sorrows? How much more heavenly would we be in our conversation? How much more saintly would we be in our conduct? How much more generous would we be with our stuff if we grasp, if we really grasp all the grace that's to be brought to us when he's revealed? This is what anchors the call to be holy that he'll get into right after this verse. You be holy. Why? Even as he is holy. What does that mean? He says, because if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, when that judgment comes, if you actually call him your father, the exiles actually conduct themselves with fear. Verse 21, he says, this is evidence of our faith and hope being in God. It's the grace that's to be brought to us that causes us to have a sincere brotherly love. Why do we love Christians like our family? Well, because they is, our, they is our family. And we'll be your family forever. And in light of what will be, this enjoying this, we treat each other right now based on what will be. This is why in all circumstances we proclaim his excellencies. Why? Because we know on the last day we're going to agree with God about everything. 
He does all things well. This is why we are to be honorable in our conduct with unbelievers. To not give them an excuse, but to help them give thanks to God at his day of revealing. This is what frees us to submit to every human institution for the Lord's sake. First Peter 2. It don't matter how wicked the leaders are. Because we believe in a bigger leader over all the leaders who's going to judge all the leaders. It's how we can live as people who are free. Because we really are. Even if we're not physically free, we're eternally free. And who he said free is free indeed. And our freedom, our full experience of freedom is very close by. It's how to suffer. How do you suffer? What reason would anyone have to rejoice in the Lord in suffering? Because it's preparing something better. That's coming soon. He says this is a light, momentary affliction that's actually preparing the eternal, lasting way to glory. This is what he does in chapter 2. He says, how do you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly? He says, because grace is being brought, because there's a judge coming. The Lord Jesus, he didn't revile when he was reviled. He didn't threaten in return. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is actually a terror for you, that there is a judge who judges justly. He's not impressed by any of our external acts divorced from our heart. He knows whether we really want to be with him or not. He judges justly. And this judge will call all to account for their sin. So if you're here today and you have not actually turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, there is a, that coming grace will not be grace for you. It will be coming judgment. There is a new heavens and a new earth prepared for the people of God to enjoy God forever. But there is an eternal hell prepared for God's enemies to experience his wrath forever. And he judges justly. And it's certain he's coming, not possibly, and it's just a couple days away. Oh, but he sent you this church. He sent you preacher after preacher to tell you, flee from the wrath to come. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ. He can pay for all our sins and reroute all that wrath on himself and make his coming not a terror for us, but something terrific. Well, have you turned from your sins and trusted in Christ? Now, if you haven't, what will you do on the day of his revealing? If you want to know what it means to turn from your sins and trust in Christ, you can ask any member of this church. And they'll be happy to help you know how you might trust in this one who bore our sin in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why would a woman with an unbelieving husband submit to him? 1 Peter 3 says, because she has hope. Because she believes God is real. 1 Peter 3, this is why a wife can submit to her husband and not fear anything that's frightening. Peter says, for this is the adornment of the holy women who hoped in God. How? They have their hope fully set on grace to be brought to them at the revealing of Christ. This is the same truth that anchors a husband's love for his wife. Why are you to love her? Why are you to honor her so much? Just because you're a pretty good guy? No, because she's royalty. 
First Peter 3, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of grace. Because on that coming day, what's going to be revealed is that we are co-heirs of an inheritance. Peter says you are nothing but blessed because of whose you are. And you, what you have coming, even when you suffer, he says, blessed are you when you should suffer for righteousness sake. Blessed are you. Have no fear. Have no trouble. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always what? Being prepared to make a defense to anyone for the what? For the hope that's in you. Suffering people show hope when they trust in God. How are you not despairing right now? Because Jesus is coming back. When, when he comes back, it's going to be popping. This hope anchors our prayers. What kind of prayers do you pray? Are they earthly prayers? Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What's the encouragement to pastors to hold the line? Don't give up. Don't give up. Hold the line. Why? Because there's, there's a chief shepherd showing up. And when that chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Grace is coming. Believers, what about our adversary, the devil, who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour everybody? He says, resist him, firm in his faith, firm in your faith. You can endure his arrows in the full onslaught of suffering that befall the people of God. You can stand firm in your faith. Why? He says, because grace is coming. He says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The saints all sound the same. And that is that this world has nothing for me. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, Paul says. And Peter says, saint, saint, if you've received grace, then you know the grace that's coming is great. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. And set your hope fully on that grace that's to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. May the Lord help us all to pay attention to where we're going. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. You've been so kind to us. You've given us more than we deserve, more than we could have asked or thought to ask for. And we just pray that you would help us, anchor us. Help us to aim right. Help us to pay attention to where we're going. And we do ask that you would send the Lord Jesus soon. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Every knee will bow, every eye will see. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.